Welcome to another episode of the Protein Bros Podcast. I am your host, Jeff Wasserman. As with me, as always, is my co-host, Kyle Combs. Sup, guys? And uh, we got an awesome episode for you guys today, but I want to get into a couple things. Uh, we are trying to grow this podcast. We have never done an ad. We will never do an ad. And the reason being is because we want to keep it entertaining. We want to keep everything light here. And we want to make sure that you guys are not bored with an ad in the middle of this podcast. So do us a favor. We only ask you to do one thing. Share up the podcast with a friend. Tell a friend about it. If you have a favorite episode, share it up on your social media. It goes a long way for us. And if you haven't already, follow us on our on our social media on Instagram and uh, or visit our website at proteinbrospodcast.com. With us today is our very special guest, Cam F. Awesome. A very awesome guy. It's even in his name. <laughs> what's the F stand for, Cam? Uh, possibly fantastical. I love it. <laughs> Now, your original name is Lenroy Cameron Thompson Jr. Buyer. Wow, dude. Nice. Congratulations, Jeff. Nice. Thank you. Nice. He was saying that you wouldn't remember it. I'm like, Jeff's got pretty good memory, dude. I'm serious. I would not remember it. Now, Lenroy <laughs> stands for... Shut <laughs> <up>. <laughs> Lenroy, uh, so did people call you Len when you grew up? Uh, actually, my dad's name was Lenroy, and everyone called me my middle name, which was Cameron. Sure. Uh, which, why didn't they just call me Junior? Right. Uh, but I found out that Cameron meant, Cameron was a unisex name. I was like nine years old when I figured this out. And Why is that I, a bad thing? No, I heard the word unisex, and I, was like, I giggled because I'm nine. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I still giggle. It's nine. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's still fun. Then I found out it meant it was for a boy and a girl. And then the only Cameron I knew was Cameron Diaz, and she was on fire during. Yeah, the absolutely. This, yeah. Is the, this is during the mask, and I didn't want to be Cameron Diaz, <laughs> right? So uh, I, I started going by Cameron because the rapper was very. Yeah, hell yeah, yeah dude. So what told, means the world to you? Exactly. Yeah, I, I told everyone, no, there's no e. It's not Cameron. It's Cam. Cameron. Yeah. I put an apostrophe and everything, and uh, teachers weren't having that. <laughs> uh, so I just shortened it down to Cam. So through everything, everyone has always known me. Like all my friends know me as Cam. But legally, like birth certificate and everything, I was Lenroy. So when I fought, I had to fight under Lenroy. Yeah. So when you would look me up online after a fight, uh, maybe you check me out on Facebook, try to find me, slide in my DMs or something, you find my dad. Yeah. And oh, then, what? And then you would add him on Facebook and say. Your dad's like, I got all these followers. This is awesome. <laughs> People are like, congrats, champ. And my dad's responding as if he's me. <laughs> so so give a, everybody who's listening, give our give our audience a little bit of a background as to. Well, don't make him do that. I can do that for him. That's mean. I don't want to make you say all this, all your accomplishments. We got you. Thanks, man. Yeah. Thanks. Dude, Jeff's, so, a, <laughs> Jeff's a, a historian. He's going to do it for you. In fact, you can leave and we'll just interview Jeff. <laughs> It's uh, it's not a bad idea, but here's the thing. Why do you want to make someone boast about their accomplishments, Kyle? Let me do it for him. I feel like he's not going to care. I feel like he'd like to do that, you know? We're going to give him a whole hour to do that. So let me get started with what he's done, man. So Cam started boxing at how old? Uh, 16. 16 years old. He goes on to win four Golden Glove championships, six U.S. championships, three PAL national championships, and went to Olympic trials three separate times, which is a span of over 12 years then, huh? Uh, so uh, four Olympic trials, I won three of them. Holy hell. Okay. So now we're moving into, way to go on the notes, Luke. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> <laughs> but, dude, that's super, super impressive. And you live here in Kansas City, Missouri? Uh, Wyandotte. Wyandotte County? Yeah. So I, K- I, Kansas so City. KCK? I, yeah, yeah. I just tell, even though I've been here, I've been in Kansas City since 2008, I just tell everyone I'm from Kansas City. 
Uh, I just like it here. No, I'm with you. I'm with you. Oh, dude, same here. We, uh, I moved here in 2016. Absolutely love it. And uh, I consider myself a Kansas City at this point as well. But you're originally from New York area. Yeah. What part? Uh, Long Island. Damn. Okay. My dad's from Long Island. Word. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. He lo- he left in uh, like 72. But I actually just got back from New York last weekend. Did you find him? Uh, yeah. <laughs> I did find him. We were there for a wedding. So. Oh. <laughs> but I'd love to hear about when you were in New York, what was the best pizza? Because that's what I tried to accomplish while I was there. Uh, here's the thing. Uh it's vegan friendly. What are we talking about? So even before, so <laughs> I, I became vegan in, in 2012. Mm-hmm. Uh, but growing up, it was like there, there was an abundance of pizza. Like it wasn't pizza is only special to people who don't have pizza. Like no one cared about pizza in New York. It was just people who came to like to New York to visit and was yeah. like pizza. And we're like, oh, cool. yeah, pizza. Like, <laughs> we have it. It's everywhere. The, yeah. yeah. The fire thing was Chinese food. Like. Uh. I've never been to China, but China hear me out. <laughs> you guys got to come to Long Island. Because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> the Chinese food was fire. Uh, yeah, it, it's like I miss the Chinese food, not the, uh, the I, met, I miss the breakfast sandwiches. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. Breakfast what, what makes a great breakfast sandwich to you, Cam? Uh, these, so I lived in an El Salvadorian neighborhood. Okay. Hardest working people I've ever met in my life. Sweetest culture, like. And they feed you and they, they'll just put anything in a sandwich, plantains, eggs, bacon. So this is before I was vegan, like they just, just shove things in bread. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And it, Empanada style. And, and, and they, and it tastes like love. Yeah. Uh, so I do remember that from uh, my childhood. Straight so, comfort. Yeah. Sounds like if you yeah. found a good breakfast sandwich here in Kansas city. Uh, no, no, uh, I'm not much of a breakfast guy, but now I'm like, I know why I've started falling asleep in class all the time. <laughs> I would eat two breakfast sandwiches on the walk to school. <laughs> that insulin dump. You're just like, I yeah. need a, I need a just nap. <laughs> yeah. Now you've, you've gone on now and, and now you do, um, uh, speaking engagements all over the country. Yeah. This is super cool. And, uh, we're going to get into that as well, but we want to start off with just your boxing career, how you got into that. Because there's a lot of us now, you know, I think in this new day and age, MMA has taken on more of like a, because people can, can do mixed martial arts and gyms locally and yes, there's boxing, but it's not as common. And so let's get into how you got into boxing, because I just don't know a lot of other people that have taken it serious like you have, and obviously been extremely successful. Yeah. Uh, so I'll, I'll get back to even before I started boxing. Great. Uh, I wanted to be rich. That was Actually, and, and to me, being rich was like being able to pay all of your bills and like go to the movies. Like I was a kid. Like mm. to me, that was like rich. And the only people I knew who were rich had their own TV shows or were rappers or athletes. So I had those options in my head. Uh, I was a terrible athlete. So I was like, that's never going to happen. Sure. Uh, I tried rap. Can't hold a beat. And I was like, okay. I remember Keenan. Remember Keenan and Kel, the TV show. Oh yeah, absolutely. Nickelodeon. Yeah. Keenan Thompson still kicking it. Yeah. I had this this fantasy. I wanted to be on that show. Now I understood it couldn't be Cam, Keenan, and Kel. It's not my show. So I understand. I want. I'm not, of course, my name's not going to be last. So it was going to be Keenan, Cam, and Kel, and that has a catch to it, right? Sure. Yeah. And I was like, I'm going to be on the show. When Kel left, you could have been Keenan and Cam. Ex- you know what I'm saying? Keenan's still doing it. Eventually, he would go off, and then it'll just be the Cam show. Yeah. But. Uh, I couldn't get on TV. 
So I, I didn't know how I was going to become famous. Then in, when I was 16, I wanted to lose weight, and I did it through boxing. And then I just went for boxing fitness, never went to spar, get hit, none of that. Is this still New York, Cam? This is still in New York. Okay. And I was 16, and I lost all the weight I wanted to lose, and I was still going to the gym every day. I was dedicated. And they're like, hey, uh, you're always here. Do you want to spar? And I was like, oh, my mom's not going to let me. And like everyone laughed. I was like, I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> totally joking. Yeah, joking. She's cool with it. Yeah, I'll get a mouthpiece. And that's how. And I was so afraid to get hit, like terrified, that uh, I just said that I, I, I would just work on defense. And no one hit me. I didn't hit anyone, but I didn't get hit. And my thing was, everyone was like, boxing's hit and don't get hit. And my thing was like, don't get hit. And if I can, possibly hit. And I took that approach with, I taught myself how to box because when I first got to the gym, they didn't teach me fundamentals because I just said I want to do the fitness part. Sure. So I would watch what everyone else did and then figure out the logical thing to do. So someone would hit the bag. If they would hit the bag low, I would realize, oh, they're hitting the bag low because they're lazy. That's not right. So anytime I would hit the bag, I would, of course, have already shadow box and got the sweat going. I'd walk up and touch my forehead on the bag all around four sides. That's where I punch. Anything lower than that's me being lazy. Another thing I thought about, speed bag. Mm-hmm. What, what, what is that for? What's the purpose of that? And I thought about it for a while. And I was like, I'm going to ask someone. And they're like, hand-eye coordination. I was like, that can't be it. Uh, so I'd bring a coach over and say, hey, can you hit this speed bag? Yeah, I can hit it. Let me see. Oh, you go with, oh, you get it. Oh, can you hit it with your eyes closed? Yeah, I can. And they do it. And they do tricks with their eyes closed. And I said, well, that's not hand-eye coordination, is it? Why do we hit the speed bag? It's just a waste of time. Mm-hmm. If you're saying to work on your muscles, your, your shoulder muscles, that's an ineffective way to do it. Yeah, and sure. It's very loud. I want to listen to music in the gym, not the speed bag. Yeah. So I thought about it being efficient. Let's say you have 20 rounds to work out in a day. Most people spend four of those rounds hitting the speed bag. I spent those four rounds working on a jab. Yeah. I'm going to be better than you and eventually. Mm-hmm. And I took that approach of logic. Uh, I didn't, I didn't do anything but spar. I, didn't, I barely hit the bag because everything else you do just to develop bad habits. So how can I develop the best habits the quickest? How can I develop the best timing? Well, I always spar. I go to the gym, I spar 20 rounds. I don't suggest everyone do this because not everyone can take these type of punches. I don't get hit. I'm with that. you. So I realized quickly, I didn't understand the Malcolm Gladwell 10,000 hour rule, but I understood stage time. So I was like, if I'm in the ring more, if I'm in the ring for a hundred rounds and you're in the ring for only 10 rounds, I'm more experienced than you. I'm likely I'm going to win. Right. So the more rounds I can do, the better I'm going to be. So after I won my first national championship, I was uh, 18 years old working at Waffle House. Won my first national championship at super heavyweight. Uh, Which, by the way, what is that weight for our listeners? Anything over 201 pounds. Is super heavy at 18. Yeah. Uh, and when does was, that change? I'm sorry. I, when does that change to different weight? Uh, it doesn't. Okay. It's unlimited. So you you weigh 202 pounds or 290 or 400 pounds. And the reason why I chose that weight class was, uh, and I weighed like 203 pounds wet. My thing, my process was if I go up to the higher weight class, these guys are bigger and stronger, but they're slower. Mm-hmm. And if I hit you once, the scoring system is 
if I hit you, I get a point. If you hit me, you get a point. If I hit you once and I run from you, I win. Mm-hmm. So how the fight will happen is I hit you. I'm beginning of a fight. I land one punch. Now I'm up 1-0. I run from you. You're bigger. You're stronger. You get tired. Second mm-hmm. round, you get desperate. You start throwing wilder punches. Slip. Touch you. 2-0. Mm-hmm. Now you get real desperate. 3-4. By the end of the fight, I'd be winning 12-2. to two. Crazy. Effortless. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just had to be in better shape than my opponents. And I saw that formula. And after I won my nationals, the first nationals was like, oh, this was or what it was. Of course, not, I wouldn't say it was easy, but I was like, it's, I could duplicate this. Mm-hmm. Right, right. It was relative, you, relative. Yeah, yeah. Right. You just understood the formula enough to be like, oh, mm-hmm. okay. And with all the confidence in the world, I was like, I don't need to do anything else. Yeah. What I'm going to do is I'm going to win all the nationals, win the Olympics, Someone, an agent, is going to see me and is like, that kid's got talent. And then he's going to sign me. And then I'm going to get famous and get my own TV show. Easy. Got it. Yeah, it's all pl- It's all mapped out. Won that first Nationals. Mm-hmm. Then I had uh, a random guy called me named John Brown. You can't even Google that name. And he's like, hey, I saw you win Nationals at Super Heavyweight. I have a boxer at Heavyweight. Would you like to come to Kansas City and spar? For six days. You know, John was just on our podcast. John Brown? Mm-hmm. Like two weeks ago. Screw that dude. <laughs> <laughs> I'm joking. I love John. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So he brought me out here and uh, he he uh, basically told me I can live in his house for a year. He would, he gave me a car to drive and let me work uh, at ringside. So after, so I came out for first the six days and then I came back out. Uh, after the six days, I took my six days off at Waffle House. And then he offered me to come back for a month. And I was like, $10 an hour off the books. Yeah. During that time for me. 10 bucks an hour back then was good money, just for everybody listening. I was making uh, $6 an hour at Waffle House. And they took they took uh, 60 cents an hour out of your check for food they knew you were going to steal. Yeah. Were you serving or cooking? Cooking. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so after I took I came out here for a month, he, he invited me to come back after I lost my job at Waffle House. And he let me stay in his house for a year, gave me a car, helped me out. He asked me, what do I need to win? And I was like, I could win everything. I just can't afford to get to the fights. Yeah. And he's like, no, what else do you need? I was like, no, I just get me a ticket. And I would literally go to nationals myself. I would register myself, warm myself up, get somebody, anyone to work my corner. Sure. I win Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Friday. John shows up Saturday works my corner in the finals. We take a picture. He's like, do you need anything? He gives me whatever I need. And I couldn't have had my career without him. That's crazy. Greatest coach. Cause he never made me do anything. He just <laughs> let me coach myself. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he just knew what you needed in that moment. And you, and he asked you, what do you need? And you just, you listen to the athlete. Yeah. That's cool. No ego. Yeah, man. Most coaches, they want it to be about them. John's like, what do you need? Yeah. 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 I'm a simple, simple person. Very cool. So excuse my, uh, you know, lack of knowledge as far as boxing goes, but, you know, what's the difference between a boxer who is, you know, winning nationals and, and, and trying to go to the Olympics versus, you know, like a Canelo who's, you know, coming up through like um, some kind of. Canelo uh, Alvarez? Yeah. Or, okay. Um, um, 
Like, how do you, how do you make that trend? Cause in boxing, it seems like that's the way that you have to go to make a lot of money. You're still in, you, you're, at this point, you're still amateur. You're still boxing, amateur. Correct. Yeah. So, so I different. guess, how do you, how do you become a oh. professional? Oh, you, know, you sign a piece of paper. Like you can yeah. turn pro, you can, you can become a professional boxer right now. Yeah. There's zero qualifications. It's not like the NBA. So a lot of people would see me and like, Cam, uh, you have a bunch of losses on your record. Steve in Olathe doesn't have any losses. I'm like. Well, and Steve's a professional. Are you not good enough to be a professional, Cam? I'm like, Steve just signed a piece of paper. Yeah. Steve's going to get beat up for $1,700 mm-hmm. because that's what the system is. Uh, and all you have to do is turn, sign a piece of paper to be pro. But once you turn pro, you lose your Olympic eligibility. So you can't, Correct. yeah, you can't go back. So I never turned pro because of that reason. So legit, uh, when I won my first nationals, you have to fill out this like form, height, weight, reach, and all that. Last question was, what do you want out of boxing? Most people put heavyweight championship belt, uh, money, Olympic medal. I put to be a good role model and have my own TV show. That's what I wanted from boxing. I just saw it as a stepping a vehicle. stone. Yeah, mm-hmm. a vehicle to get to the next place. And then I got to leave the country for the first time. So I got a quick question for you because I know you got a good story to go with that. But you started with this saying that like you wanted to be rich. Yeah, that's how you started. But the the TV show is what was going to make you rich. At some point, once you won nationals, were you thinking, "Well, I could get rich because of boxing"? I mean, Floyd Money Mayweather make a lot of money. Uh, no, where do you, have you ever heard of Joe Button? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Great. Great. I've, song. I've got, ne- he's got a good podcast. Too. I've never said this podcast. out loud I before. No idea. Yeah. I've never said this out loud before. He is why I didn't turn pro. Really? He's my favorite rapper. Pump it up. Yeah. Pump it up is why I never turned pro. He's my favorite rapper. He had that pump it up song with Def Jam. Pump, pump, pump it up. What he did through his through his music and his mixtapes, he didn't release many albums because he was tied up contractually. And all of his music, he rapped about his contracts and the importance of being independent and how you are nothing but a statistic and there's somebody who's willing to work twice as hard for less of the money, half the money. And he taught me the importance of being independent. And I understood if I turned pro, I would have to fight who people tell me to fight. I'd have to do what people tell me to do. I have to be at the weight class people would tell me I have to be at. And I told, I figured myself, I'd rather bet on myself. I'd much rather bet on myself instead of turning pro, which would probably be guaranteed money on the upfront, but there's no longevity in that. Yeah. If I just spend my 20s building skills, I'll never have to work a day in my life after 30. And now I don't. You I know, don't what I do work. That's the for. most ridiculously progressive mindset for the time period that you had it. You know what I'm saying? A lot of people have that mindset now, but when were you thinking that? Uh, That's what, what year was school. that? Yeah. The people that are independent don't have to, they didn't really have because <clears throat> now, now you hear of independent artists, independent art, basically the, the internet made it to where it's easier yeah. to monetize no being independent. So, but like for yeah. you to have that thought, you know, back then where people were signing contracts and they would be like, Oh dude, I'm going to spend a million dollars this year. So here, here's something. Uh, so here's what put me on game when I was younger. My dad owned a construction company. So he came to America, not very educated. He's not very educated. He drove a cement truck, but he did uh, driveways and sidewalks on the weekends. So let's say that he, he would do side hustle. Yeah. So yeah. Just, it was cool. a side hustle. And on weekends, we he would go to Home Depot. Literally, I'm in the back of the pickup truck. And I learned you want to be in the back of the pickup truck if your dad's the boss. Because you want to be in the back with the pickup truck with all the workers. And you want to talk shit on your dad. Because it's the only way you're going to get along with the workers. Yeah. So I was always in the back of the pickup truck. And he would, we go to Home Depot, pick up workers, go, go to your house, first thing Saturday morning, break up the driveway, sidewalk, throw it in a dumpster. Dumpster comes sat, uh, Sunday morning. He comes 
uh, one laborer and always these two Portuguese guys. Uh, one of them was name was Manny. Can't remember the name, but he paid the he paid the uh, the, the, the laborers, laborers a uh, hundred dollars each, and he would pay uh, the two Portuguese guys four fifty each. So first day. $450 each? $450 each. So the first day you pick up four of the laborers. So that's $400 of labor. Second day, one laborer, $100, two $450 laborers. So that's $1,400 in labor. He drove the cement truck for the company. So he got the cement at cost. He would charge you $10,000. My dad wore white sneakers. He never, I've never seen him to this day touch a tool. He had all the workers do it. He doesn't know how to do anything. He would just organize all this stuff. Right. Facilitates. And, and when I tell people the story, they're like, okay, oh, the laborers made $100 a day. Oh, that's, that's good. Oh, oh, the, the Portuguese guy, man, he made 450 You know how much my dad made? Yeah. Eight grand. He didn't do anything. What did you make? <laughs> nothing. Yeah. Nothing. And I always ask him, why can't I make anything? And he said, when you can wear white shoes, when, when you're old enough to wear white shoes, you can wear white shoes. I never understood what that meant. And what he would do is when it was time to pay the laborers, he would give me the money and I would have to pay them. And I understood what he was instilling in me is understanding how money works. And now I understand I don't want to be the guy making 450. I want to be the guy making 100. I want to be the guy that organizes everything. And I always had that philosophy. In school, that's not fostered. Mm, totally not. No. Yeah. No. no. So I, was, I always thought I was stupid. Yeah. But then I had this idea in through boxing when I first started but I had this philosophy uh when I was like 14 or 15 I was dealing with weight before I got into boxing and I was overweight and I found out how calories work if you burn more calories than you consume you will lose weight law of thermodynamics my there, friend there is nothing else to be said <laughs> to that yeah everything else is marketing yeah yeah you're not special yeah you can marketing makes you feel special no one's special that's so the formula is one plus two equals three. One is who, one is you. You should always be number one. You should be always be your biggest fan. Number three in this equation is the goal. Two is what you need to do to get to there. Now, one plus two equals three. With two, you can be happy when you do it. You can be frustrated. You can be hungry. You can be mad. But you need to get it done. So emotions aside. One plus two equals three. Mm -hmm. And I understood something in boxing. If I was in better shape than you, I would win. So one plus two equals three. One is me. Three is me winning. Two is me not getting hit. And I did everything in my power through my career to not get hit, to be the best that I could. Because I understood if I became good enough at boxing, I won enough, I could leverage that and the lessons that I learned in life to build a career for myself after sports. And I want more athletes to think like that because of course I was talented enough to turn pro, but I had enough options not to, not all athletes are like that. Totally. Yeah. Or they might've made that decision too early. Right. It's so easy. Uh, you know, we, we really try to teach delayed gratification with our, with our company. And, um, it's so hard for, for people not to, to take the bait, if you will. It's, it's, if you just stick with some, so when I start first started uh, working out, and when I learned that formula, my thing was I was going to rollerblade an hour before school every day because 
I'm not going to consume less calories. I'm just going to burn more. Mm. Totally. And, and rollerblading is fun. And <laughs> let's and, be real. And very hard thing to do in general is to burn <laughs> more than you put in. Yeah. <laughs> uh, obviously, I wasn't the coolest kid in the world. I was like, I'm going to rollerblade. Uh, but I did it morning after morning after morning after morning after morning after morning after morning. I did maybe seven, eight mornings in a row. No one stopped me to say, hey, Cam, I see the work you're doing. Keep it up. Of course, because they didn't see a difference. Yeah, you're not going to see a difference in eight days, but when we don't see a difference in eight days, we're like, oh, maybe, maybe I'm wasting this my time. This isn't working. Yeah, this isn't worth it. Yeah, yeah, juice isn't worth the squeeze. We deal with that a lot. <laughs> and if you could just push past your, you lying to yourself because you want to be lazy because you want to stop. You know it's going to work. One plus two equals three. It's the equation. Math is consistent. You know it's going to work, but lazy you. Sometimes we call it your inner bitch. Oh yeah, it'll be like, oh no no, it, it might not be working. Let's just, let's not work out today. And then it also, it's, you know, Here's oh, know it's not, it. it's not worth it. Oh. Is, it. is it worth it? You know, like, is it worth doing all this? Yeah, dude. The biggest one is like, uh, we, oh, man, and the, cause that, this, this goes towards anybody working towards any goal, right? Is, um, you know, what if it doesn't work out? And it's like, well, we know how it's definitely not going to work <laughs> out. Yes. Mm. Like we know exactly how it's definitely not going to work out is if you quit. Yeah. We just know for a fact that it ain't going to work now. So the only chance you really have is to just have the confidence and keep going. Yeah. You know, sorry. Keep going with your story. But oh, no, no. Like, yeah. We, yeah. We I, I, I love, yeah. Employees, we struggle that with, you know, like, you know, we have a lot of employees that worked really hard for us for years and, you know, we're trying to help them get to the position that they want to get to in life. And it's like, I can promise you right now, like you will not get it if you quit. Yeah. The grass is definitely not greener. And I don't even think that's tough love. Mm-hmm. That's just, that's objective. That's honesty. I mean, it's life's not fair. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I mean, that's, that's one of the things that I figured out that equation works. And if I could, if, if this equation works, I could win nationals. And after I won nationals, like, Oh, I could do anything I want in life. So my goal was, I was just going to win every nationals travel around the world, have fun, take pictures, be single and collect life stories. And I knew after I won the 2012 Olympic uh, trials, I would go to the Olympics. I would, even if I didn't get a medal, just having the title Olympian attached to my name. Totally. That momentum, I'd become, I would use that, get a TV show, leverage that, use my, the, the knowledge that my dad, my dad gave me with entrepreneurism and never have to work a day in my life mm-hmm. because that was always important to me. My free time. I hated being in timeout. I'd never want to go to jail because <laughs> I love my free time. And if I'm doing a job I don't love, I'm going to be miserable. And I, I inspire, I want everyone to take chances to find out if you can actually do the thing that you love because life is so much better when you're doing that thing. And I'm doing everything in my power to make sure I'm able to do what I love. Of course, it's not always fun. It's a lot of work. Yeah. I was about to say, what's your advice to somebody? Cause a lot of people, when they start monetizing the thing that they love, it flips into something that they hate. Now it's work. Now it's work. Now it becomes unfun. What is your advice to, to somebody who, you know, might be going through that? Uh, if you're doing it because you love, if you're doing it because you love it, uh, look at money as a, uh, I look at money as a scoreboard. It's, it's the score. Mm -hmm. Uh, I, like and speaking, I'm speaking all over. I'm, I 
I might have invoices out there. Yeah. Don't care. Like one of the schools, like they, they, uh, it wasn't even a school. It was, I went to go do a gig and they're like, uh, uh, they weren't sure if the invoice could make it or the PO or whatever in time for me to speak. And I was like, I don't care. And my booking agent was like, what happens if you don't get paid? I was like, I don't, I don't care. Yeah. I, I just want to speak. I, that's what I wanted. I want to perform. So again, I always wanted my own TV show and everything like that. 2012, uh, won the Olympic trials, got suspended, kicked off the Olympic team for not filling out paperwork, drug testing, left the country, didn't tell the drug testing agency I was leaving. Missed drug test is a positive drug test. That happened three times to me in 18 months. I moved, but never changed my address, not knowing this was an issue. Then I came back to the States and competed for like six more months while I was suspended, not even knowing because I didn't go home to check my mail. <laughs> and then right before the Olympics happened, they're like, oh, those last tournaments you all, all those last tournaments you won, they don't count. Those are disqualified too. Disqualified too. Yikes, man. Lost everything. That's brutal. Yeah. Of course, I had this, I had this plan. When I tell you I had this plan, I put all my eggs in that basket. Yeah. I mean, your identity was tied in 100% to that. I went hard. Yeah, man. How'd you deal with that? How did you overcome yeah, that's, that? Because that's, that's, that's that sounds it. like the, the, the big fork in the road for your life. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, immediately. Uh, so uh, I went to fight the appeal because I tested negative uh, that same week. They showed up to drug test me in Lenexa. Uh, I tested negative in Azerbaijan to fight in the tournament that I fought in. So it was like, I obviously had nothing to hide. It was technicality. Yeah. More or less. Said the rules are the rules. I knew immediately. I was like, all right, it's going to be a tough year because I'm going to do, I'm going to have some drinking. I'm going to cry. I'm going to have a depressed year. Uh, I knew I was going to return to boxing because I don't have any other skills. I mean, I can always, I, I can always run a very successful construction company because I understand how labor works. But that's not what I want to do. Uh, so I had to make money. So what I decided to do was John Brown coach. He owned a boxing equipment company. They had a studio where they took pictures of boxing equipment. I was like, hey, can I train people in there? He's like, mm, yeah, no overhead. That's a good deal. I was on Craigslist. I was on Facebook Market. I was nurses. Nurses. I would always reach out to nurses. $20 an hour boxing fitness training. Would fit four of them in an hour. One round, you're doing mitts. One round, you're doing uh, lunges. One round, you're hitting the bag. One round, you're jumping ropes. $80 an hour. I'd do that twice a day. And I would just go back into my apartment and cry and drink. I was, it was a bad year. I always know how money works, though. Mm-hmm. So I always have that to fall back on. Uh, I lost a bad gained a lot of weight. I got up to about 280, 277. And uh, one of my clients uh, lost a bet to them. I had to be vegan for 28 days. And... I didn't realize what was the bet though, Cam. You can't just be skipping over. <laughs> <laughs> what was the bet? Uh, Manny Pacquiao versus Timothy Bradley. Okay. Uh, I don't even watch boxing. You voted on you. You bet on Timothy Bradley. No, I bet on Pacquiao. I never even heard of Bradley's name before. So yeah. when the bet came up, I was like, "Yeah, I'll bet Pacquiao. Who's Bradley?" Yeah. Uh, I didn't even watch the fight. To this day, I never watched the fight. Uh, I lost, uh, and I had to be vegan for twenty eight days. And I didn't realize what a slump I had gotten in with drinking. I gained weight. I was I was still mad at myself that I got to spend over some BS. And the guy who went in my place, I beat five times out of the five times we sorry six times. I fought him six times, beat him six times, and he went instead of me. Understood. I need to get back to boxing because it's my skill. But if I'm going to return to boxing, 
I felt like at that time, boxing took everything from me. And I want to return to boxing and I want to take as much as I could from boxing for my career. And if I'm going to return, I'm going to go, oh, I'm going balls deep. Change my last name to awesome. Why? For a bunch of reasons. One, I have to think I'm awesome. Uh, whether you think you can or you think you can't, you're right. You're right. Words are powerful, correct? Mm-hmm. Let's do a little experiment of how powerful words are and how indoctrinated we are to be small as people. Uh, even the philosophy of being humble. We're taught to be humble. Do you have kids? I do not. Do you have kids? Three. Three. How old? I got a one-year-old, a two-year-old, and a four-year-old. Can you grab your phone real quick? Could you uh, look up the definition of humble? During my suspension, I started to figure some things out. I was so mad at myself. I used to think, I was obsessed with myself, obsessed, obsessed. When I, once I first my won, won my first nationals, I was so into myself. I was like, oh, I'm the greatest. No one can beat me. I'm the best. And then when I lost, I was, so, I was beating myself up all the time. Now, my man. Now, first, read me the first definition. All right. The, the first definition. Oof. Having or showing modest or low estimate of one's own importance. Now, as a father, would you put this on your child? No. Read me the second definition. Of low social, administrative, or political rank, she came from humble, unprivileged background. Would you want that for your child? No. Read me the third definition. <laughs> Lower someone in dignity or importance. I knew he had humbled himself to ask for my help. Now, would you want that for your child? No. If you wouldn't want that for your child, why would you want it for yourself? Yeah, we, we, I mean, I have a really strong opinion on humility and that is that you have to have accomplished something to show humility as in like, um, you have to, humility would not be lowering your own self-worth, but elevating others. But is that the definition of humility? Unfortunately, yeah. no. <laughs> yeah. So I, I the way that, I, and I've never taken the time to look that up. No, so that's, no, that's the very way that impactful. I look at it is I've always thought about, I'm humble enough to understand that I'm not so good that I can't always be learning is kind of the way that I've always thought about humility. But in that context doesn't really apply. Right. <laughs> it, we, we are conditioned to be small. And now uh, I, do, I, I do, do not want to disrespect anyone religiously. Sure. Be humble in the eye of the Lord. But last time I checked, none of y'all was the Lord. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And during my suspension, I realized I couldn't even get momentum going in my own life because I was so hard on myself. I was beating myself up. And then I realized I was making myself small. I was humbling myself because I was embarrassed that I got suspended for something so stupid. Mm-hmm. Feeling some shame. I changed my last name to awesome. Killing off the old me. I'm not going to be defined by that. And with the last name awesome, I have forced me to be more of a positive person. Also, if I'm going to be marketable because I'm coming back this next four years for the bag, Mm -hmm. I want people to know who I am. I want to make this four years so people remember my name and I can build a career for myself. Luckily, so I came back, became vegan, started the vegan circuit. Uh, I understood companies were trying to promote the vegan stuff and I'm like, I'm here for it. I'm not, I'm not big on any of it, but I'm taking stuff. I'm, I'm posting pictures. I'm selling things online. I'm taking, I'm getting t-shirts. I'm selling the t-shirt. I'm doing hustling, mm-hmm. winning national, one national. As soon as I get, got back 2013, one nationals reclaimed my spot as captain of the USA national boxing team traveling around the world. Uh, I had 49 fights in uh, 49 fights in one year. 
in 2014. Jeez, dude. It's going for number 50, but like December 23rd, the dude pulled out last minute. We couldn't find a replacement. But uh, That's crazy. You try to go for 50 in a year. Trying to go 50 and, in and a year. And all, all these fights, every time you do a fight, do you get any form of payment? Or does that make you a professional if you get paid at, any, at, at all? Uh, if you get paid for the fight, that, that makes you a professional. You so make it on paid. endorsements. Yeah. You, per fight. But you make it on endorsements, but uh, no one cares about boxing in America. Yeah. So... We don't get any endorsements. <laughs> <laughs> Let me ask you this, man. Uh, this is kind of a veer off of what we were talking about, but when you box that much, I know you said that you are your main goal is to avoid getting hit in the head, but it's very well documented what head injuries can do. Um, you know, was that ever something that was a concern for you? Is is having some kind of tra- traumatic brain injury from boxing too much, getting hit in the head too much, being punch drunk, if they as they say? Here's the problem. There's only one person who doesn't realize there's the punch drunk person in the room. Yeah. It's the person who's taking too many punches. Yeah. So how do you know when you've taken too many punches? It's true. I feel like it's genetic too. A lot of people are able to eat a lot more punches than some. Yeah, but then, 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 but you don't get to see them when they're 60. That's true. Yeah. You don't really know. I get to see them. Yeah. It don't look good. Yeah. It don't look good. But also I see a lot of boxers who do look good after all those years. Yeah. Another thing, I see a lot of football players who don't look good. Well stated. Yeah. And then I get upset when if 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 someone gets tackled too hard and they they, they throw a flag. I get upset. Why? Because I understand why I box. I understand it's dangerous. That's nice. a part of it. We signed up for this. Yeah. Like that's, don't, don't that's make my exciting. Yeah, yeah. That's exciting excitement in it, you know? Yeah. So my thought with boxing was I've the fight was easy. I wanted to entertain. Like that was my thing. I would, I used to, I wore capes. I flipped in the ring. I danced. Like I did it all. Like that was my goal was to have fun. Uh, if I won, that's cool. But my goal was to have fun. Uh, luckily I won a lot. So I was happy. So we got through nationals for the second time. We're done. You, you were oh, now that, you were now KMF awesome. You won. You're now you know re, recaptured your title as USA Boxing Team Champion. What's the next step? Uh, so next step was to just continue to win nationals every year to prepare for the 2016 Olympic trials. And uh, Netflix documented. Uh, they followed me around, did a documentary uh, for a few years, and uh, kind of showed what that experience was like. And your uh, own TV show, some would say. I got close. I got close. And. Uh, Won the 2016 Olympic trials, but lost an international competition and didn't get to go to the games. How does that happen? Uh, they change the rules after you win. So because they have a limited number of, of beds at the Olympic games, they basically make us have uh, like a tournament before the actual Olympics to make the tournament shorter. So they have less athletes to feed, less athletes to house. But we had to have some kind of USA athletes represented in that Olympics, correct? Yeah, they they uh yeah, but they won that tournament. I lost in the finals on the split decision. Yikes! What in that in that in that match specifically? I mean, this is everything that you'd worked for to this point. This is um you know the new you, Mrs. KMF Awesome. You know, you get to this point, split decision, and in that decision, you're you're finding out you're not going to get to go to the games. How do you take that? Do you go back to drinking in your apartment? Uh, actually I just, uh, reposted this on my story uh, a couple days ago. Uh, I'm, I immediately, I went back, it was in Venezuela, went back to my hotel room, made a post on social media, uh, lost my fight today. My Olympic run is over time to re re reinvent myself. See what's next for me. It may not be boxing. 
Specifically, I put it may not be boxing. I remember, I remember putting that because I know most people would like, you should have turned pro in 2012. And now they're like, you should definitely turn pro now. And I'm like, nah. An idea. If I turn pro, let's say I made, let's say I made a million dollars. Let's say I made, let's say I made five million dollars. That's not enough to last me my entire lifetime. And if I did that, I would have to dedicate all of my time to boxing. No speaking, no fun, no games. This is my life. This is my income. This is how I'm going to feed my family. This is not a game no more. Let's say I retire at 40 with $5 million. What skills do I have? Totally. <laughs> what, what, do, what longevity do I have? So I think, okay, 2016 I lose. I'll spend four years. I'll, f- I'll spend four shit years because everyone has to deal with four shit years for their career, this college, whatever. And I said, I'll build a speaking business. So July 4th, 2016, I lost. It was on 4th of July. Made that tweet. Came back to the U.S. A week later, went to the National Speakers Association National Conference. Shout out to the Kansas City Golden Gloves that gave me the scholarship to afford to go. And I learned about being being a speaker. Came back to Kansas City and just started getting better at speaking. Every time I saw a teacher, I'd say, hey, how would you like to get drunk tonight because you don't have to work tomorrow? And they'll say, tell me more. <laughs> I'll say, well, I have a new 45-minute speech I'm working on. I want to come to your class and do the same 45-minute speech seven times. And I got my speech so good. And I did this. I did this close to 100 times all over Kansas City. Until everyone knew me as a speaker, I rebranded myself. But then I was known as a free speaker. I didn't think about that. Right. Because then I was trying to get paid now. You're like, like now i got to leave Kansas City. <laughs> so <laughs> bought a van. Yeah. Lived in a van for three years. Travel around the country. I don't have to pay for hotels. I don't have to pay for rental cars. I don't have to pay for flights. Just drove around the country for three years. It was a blast. Uh, but I did realize during that time how important it is to be an athlete. Because doors that once opened for me were no longer opening. Because I was no longer an athlete. And I was like, God damn. Got to win nationals again. Yeah. Like, got in shape. Won nationals a couple more times and then uh, was going to win the 2020 Olympic trials for Team USA. And they said, because I have a speaking business, I would have to stop my speaking business and for training. And I was like, no, like, I can't stop. Like, I'm this, I, I, like this is what I'm going to be doing after I'm done boxing. Yeah. I got to I got to have this. Yeah. Yeah. So my, why and why do they make you stop doing that? Like how how do they even have the rights to say that? Train full time at the they, Olympic training. Got they it. want you in Colorado Springs, the Olympic Training Center. Sorry, yeah. I can't be there. I got money to make. Yeah, and they didn't see that. So uh, I went to my dad's home country, Trinidad and Tobago. I got my dual citizenship. I fought and won their Olympic trials. Came back to the states, living in a van, speaking at schools, doing stand up comedy, uh, and training for the Olympics. Then the pandemic happened. Jesus. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So you're about to go to the Olympics as a Trinidad, Trinidad and Tobago boxer. Yeah. yeah. And then the pandemic happened and I was like, time to go hard in speaking. Yeah. Yeah. My gosh, well, Where'd man. you get the uh, passion for speaking? Uh, when I first came here. Uh, so again, I, I always wanted to, I liked sketch comedy. I didn't realize that all that, that show was my favorite show as a kid yeah. was just Saturday night live for kids. Yeah. Uh, and, what was the show? I'm sorry. Oh, all, all that. that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And uh, I always wanted to perform, and I like I like stand up. Uh, 2012, when I was suspended, I started doing stand up, 
And I was starting to perform in places and I realized I understand how the system works and I understand everything's driven by money and by money in comedy. I mean, ticket sales. I have a name for myself. I'm not famous by any means, but I have a small niche in communities all over America, just boxing. So if I went to a city to box or speak at a school, I'll reach out to the local comedy club and say, Hey, if you let me feature this weekend, I can sell some tickets and they allow me to perform. It doesn't matter how funny you are. How many tickets can you sell? How many? So I was performing a lot before I should. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so my early stuff is pretty bad, but I, that's how I got stage time and experience. Uh, so I would be speaking at schools for John Brown, my, my coach. He would make me go to all the schools in the area, talk about boxing. And I would have to do the gym class thing for the entire day. And I have to go to the gym class and do the, take every gym class, do the same speech. And I was like, if I can get it good enough and funny enough and entertaining enough to make it into like a performance, I can do the whole day in 43 minutes and save a lot of time. So I just started doing school assemblies. Then as I started traveling around to fight, I would reach out to schools and say, hey, I'd love to speak at a school for free. Building my brand. People in Texas now know I'm a speaker. And everywhere I went to speak, I would fight. Uh, uh, I would, everywhere I went to fight, I would speak. And I was building a brand for myself. I started uh, emceeing vegan festivals. Now, why? Because I love free food. And also, they would pay for my flight. They'd pay for my hotel. And even if they didn't pay me to get on stage, I got stage time to speak. And I was, I was basically staying on stage for eight hours a day. I'm getting comfortable. Tons of reps. Tons of reps. reps. Yeah, yeah. I'm so comfortable in front of a microphone right now. Like, it was, and I look at it like sparring. If I'm getting ready for a tough fight, I want the best sparring partners. I want to spar every day. My time is going to be good. So when it's time to fight, I'm firing. I've been, I've been averaging about 12 to 15 hours of stage time a week for the last 12 weeks. Since September 4th, I've been on the road mm-hmm. with microphones. And that's how you get better. Right. But I have a lot of speakers, like a lot of athletes reach out to me like, hey, Cam, how can I get in the speaking world? It ain't easy. But it's possible. Totally. And, and the most fulfilling, like money's cool, whatever. It is so cool going into a school and being the Beatles. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like you share your message. The kids love it. You're high-fiving. You're taking selfies. Like that is the greatest feeling in the world. And I'm so grateful that I found speaking because if you leave the world of like the high level of me, like being an athlete and you know, that, that high of fighting and you don't have anything to replace that it's easy to lean on drugs, to lean on drinking, to lean on partying. And now I found that fulfillment through sharing my message with students. I don't even consider this work. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's lots of people that have that kind of issue when they get, when they retire from, from athletics, especially when they're doing it at a high level. Um, you know, they retire and they don't, you know, they lose that, that rush that they get. Yeah. They like, I mean, their, their complete self-worth and identity was, was wrapped into that. And now they don't have it. Yeah. Oh, I used to always say my greatest fear was, uh, being, uh, drunk in Applebee's at 47 talking about <laughs> how good I used to on a, be. On a bar stool, you know? Just, yeah. yeah. Hey, let me, let me show you pictures of me back in the day. Yeah. Like, Hey, I was the best. Look at me. <laughs> you know, my Yikes. goal, yeah. my goal in speaking and like, and I never wanted to be an athlete speaker. Yeah. Cause of course I would pay any amount of money I had to watch LeBron James read his grocery list. Yeah. Cause that's LeBron James. Mm-hmm. I don't have that privilege. I want to be so good at speaking that when I leave a stage, someone would say, do you know who used to be a boxer too? Right. Like, I want what I do in speaking to stay on completely supersede. Yeah. 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 And, and the thing is I, I made every mistake 
possible I could as I was building this business. And there's a few times I've almost, I pretty much lost it and I had to build up from scratch. But my philosophy was if everything goes bad, I can live in my van. Yeah. And I did. What kind of van you got just for all of us who think about that as a possibility one day in their life? Oh, uh, for no kids. Yeah. Like if you don't have kids uh, and you know, I wouldn't even suggest this for, I wouldn't suggest it for my sister because as a, as a female, you, it's kind of sketchy places where you sleep, but as a dude, single, no dog living in the van is a great experience. Do it at some point. Life is a lot easier when your mortgage, your mortgage is your car insurance. Mm-hmm. And I traveled around the country. I worked out at Planet Fitnesses. I slept in Walmart. Van. Yeah, that's when I first oh, got yeah, it. Oh, yeah, dude. Uh, when I first, yeah. That's awesome. She put a free candy sign right on the side. <laughs> <laughs> so, so what was important is I needed a van with uh, an ugly exterior mm-hmm. uh, because I didn't want anyone to know that it. You didn't want somebody to break into it. I, I literally put my laundry in the front seat with the seat belt over it because so it looks like trash. Right. Yeah. Uh, but if you opened up the back, I eventually got the back nicer. I had hardwood floors, Wi-Fi, microwave, coffee maker, pull-out couch bed. Mm-hmm. Bare necessities all done. Everything. Mm-hmm. And I would sleep in Walmart parking lots, and I would shower at Planet Fitnesses. And it, it allowed me to build so many connections with people. Like, when you go to a, like, I would go to a city to speak, and if I had a flight out the next day, I would have to leave. But if I get to a city, I run into someone, I'm like, hey, let's have lunch tomorrow. I'm like, cool, I don't have anywhere to go. Yeah. And... I, and it's such a cool community because you run into other people who live in vans. Yeah. And no one who's living in a van has a boring story about it. I love it. Did you know that there's like a, a hand symbol for van life? No. So we have a friend named Claire and Jared that they, uh, they live in a van and they, they travel the country. They're really cool Instagram people. Uh, but they said that they found somebody gave them like this hand symbol and they're like, what the heck was that? And they like looked it up, but it's, I think it's just this van life. Oh, okay. Right. And so they like, they, like it's like a Jeep thing, right? When you drive by other people that live in a van, they give them that. And they had like a sticker on the back of their car with that, with that hand symbol, or whatever. Yeah. But I thought you'd like to hear that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Fun note. But, uh, dude, so, so here's the thing. There's some things that, you know, all of us who don't live in a van are going to be thinking, right? And now it's a, at least, you know, it, it begs the question, you know, was there not just some extremely lonely nights out on the road? First thing, before we even look at that, the first thing you realize when you move into a van, 99.9% of things you own, you don't need. Correct. Once, because it doesn't click. It doesn't click until you have to leave it behind. Correct. And then you spend four or five days without it, and you're like, oh, shit. That was, I, when you think about it, you leave, when I left all that stuff behind, I thought about it. I worked, I gave physical effort, sweat, to earn income. To spend on that. To acquire, right. To spend, I don't need it. Yeah. Since that, I, I'm a hippie. Right. <laughs> like, I don't. Minimalist. I, minimalist. Yeah. I, don't, I don't buy a bunch of stuff. The reason why I dress nicer is because now I, I, I have to speak in places and like they, that's what they're paying for. So I have to buy nicer clothes. But I don't spend frivolous money. I am the cheapest dude, frugal, like you will ever meet. Are you a fan of this Fabletics brand? Yes. Yes. Uh, because uh, my girl got a membership and she... Uh, we, we got the free trial and we bought a bunch of them and you get good deals. Yeah. But it's good stuff. Yeah. Kevin Hart loves it. Yeah. Uh, actually I wouldn't even say it's the greatest stuff, mm-hmm. uh, but it's gym stuff and you're not going to keep a gym shirt for 40 years. So, true. uh, not the greatest material, but you're going to lose the shirt before it rips. Yeah. 
So well, well stated. Yeah. Yeah, man. And, and I'm, I, back in my day, uh, I would go to the lost and found in the gyms and at the, before they throw it away, not going to steal anyone's stuff, yeah. but I would go through all the basketball shorts and first I would check the pockets, not for anything, but for depth because I'm big on the depth of pockets. Yeah. It's important. Big yeah. Pocket gym guy. short, yeah. gym short pockets are extremely important. And if my we've phone, all lost a wallet, keys, whatever, cash, lose yeah. cash, the worst phone, like, and if my phone could just fall into it, I'm like, okay, I just got a brand new pair of shorts. Yeah. Wash them and they're shorts and no one knows. Yeah. Yeah. And why should you care? Yeah. I, that, and if you can adopt that philosophy, you realize you don't need as much money as you think you do. And when you need less money, you have less obligations. There's less responsibility. More freedom. freedom. More freedom. More freedom. independence. Mm-hmm. That's all. I, I want freedom and independence. Well, I was speaking earlier about what I'm doing with the time, with my time. I will do anything. Well, I'm not, I don't, I only do, I will only do what I want to do, but I'll do everything it takes to be able to do that thing. Mm-hmm. And as long as it leads to freedom and independence, I'm all for it. I love that, man. I got some, but these are organic questions that I have to be asked. You know, yeah. it's like, were you ever lonely on the road? And then two, I would say, all right, I got a separate one. We'll, we'll just wait. Let's just have, let you answer that one. Lonely on the road. Yeah. Uh, Tinder. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Tinder. Mm-hmm. Jeff, do you know anything about that? I certainly don't, Luke. Some Tinderonis. <laughs> Tinder, <laughs> it's Tinderellas, it's, I believe. So here's the thing. Hey, By I the way, to, my wedding I was just at last weekend, they met on Tinder. Oh, nice. I Sorry. met my girl on Tinder. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. The thing is, like, I would use it as not even a pick because I can meet, I enjoy, if I see someone attractive in person, I'm a people person. I'm a talker. I'm, I, if I see someone attractive, I'm going to go talk to you. I don't need to hit on you online. Yeah. But let's I have would, an energy exchange here and see how this goes. My Tinder profile said, ladies, like I travel for work, not looking for a hookup here for your cities, not your titties <laughs> <laughs> looking for a tour guide. It's a, it's a good one. Looking for a tour guide. And the thing is I would yeah. hang out and they would show me like, I would be in these random cities. They would swipe on me. I would meet, hang out and not even most of them not attractive. I'm not attracted to them. It's not even about that, but mm-hmm. it's just about the connections yeah. and I'm not lonely because that, companionship. that's how yeah. I met people. And we go out in this back uh, before, back when I used to drink and like we go for drinks, we go out to dinner. I met so many cool vegan people. Like you go to vegan festivals, you find all of them on Tinder. Then you meet up with them later. Uh, so it was never very, it was, it wasn't lonely on the road at all. Actually it was more connection than I've ever had. When I'm home, I don't hang out with anyone because I don't work during the day, a conventional job. Monday through Friday, everyone's at work. I love the weekdays mm-hmm. because you go to the movie theaters, 10 o'clock on a Wednesday. It's cheaper. It's empty. No kids. It's, it's a good time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But then sprawl out on the weekends. Everything's <laughs> busy. And then there's there's back when drinking, there's no drink specials or DUI checkpoints. It's like there's no benefit of going out on the weekends unless you have to. Yeah. And being that I'm home. I don't get to hang out with anyone because they want to hang out at night and I'm up at about 5 a.m. every morning. Yeah. So yeah, that's about that late life. Man, that strategy is great. And I love that. Like I just said, it's one of those things where you clearly put a lot of intention and thought behind your time and how you use it. And uh, someone who has the amount of independence and freedom that you have, it's great that you're using it, you know, in a way that is obviously proactive and, and supports your beliefs. You know what I mean? But the thing that I would love to know about you just because this is our first interaction and yeah. it's just been, it's been very great to get to know you truly. And I'd love to know, because of how assertive and how sure you are of your thoughts and your feelings, right? What do you do to get better? How are you educating yourself on a daily basis? Oh, uh, I, so 
different ways to educate myself and in, in which aspects. Because to this point, it's been a lot of um, anecdotal, you know, feedback that you've gotten, right? You've been, you know, touching the stove and that's how yeah. you've learned. Yeah. You know, but now are you finding yourself, um, you know, talking with mentors? Do you like to read? Do you like to listen to podcasts or do you like to continue to just touch the stove? Old people. Find you an old person. <laughs> Here's the thing about old people. They like walking because they figured out you just go walking without a phone. It's free. And it's it's one of the greatest feelings ever. Old people figure that out. They don't tell us. Old people keep things a secret from us because they figure things out. Like think about the age you are. Now think about 10 years before this. If you were that age, you can go back and tell a kid like someone that age and you can tell them how to rip life up to part like if you can go back and do it again, you know exactly what to do. Like you can give that information to them, but you're not going to because they're not going to listen to you. It's true. Older people realize we're not going to listen to them so that they're smart enough. They're wise enough to save their knowledge. But if they know that you need knowledge, you are looking for it, you're thirsty, hang out with an older person. I have a bunch of older people in my life. John Brown's one of those older people. Of course, they might be backwards in some of their thinking, but they were ahead of the wave back in their day. And that shouldn't be discounted. So I hang out with older people that get put up on game. Uh, every time I meet a successful person or an unsuccessful person, I invite them for coffee. I have coffee all the over a hundred times a year. I probably meet someone for coffee. That's how often I do it. I don't even drink coffee. I want to know why you're successful. I want to know how you're successful. I want to know why, why did it take you so long? How could you've done it faster? And I'm going to cipher through your BS and some things that I think, oh, okay, he's still haven't figured it out 100% because you haven't and neither mm-hmm. have I. Totally. And I'm going to figure out what works for me and I'm going to use that. And then I'm going to go meet another old person. And I'm going to add on to that. I meet older people and successful people, even younger successful people, because now with technology, the wave is like you, you have to keep up with what's going on. The podcast and the editing. You need people who know that type of stuff and you can't know it all. And I'm starting to learn as I'm building my business I've been doing everything solo. I'm a one man team. And as I'm growing, like I, I you know, I hire a, a graphic designer and here and there I'll hire You got to get yourself a Luke, man. Even though and I'm going to fire Luke. <laughs> Sorry. Did, is this how you found out Luke? <laughs> Sadly, about two hours ago. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so do you, with these, with the coffee shops, for example, when you meet these people, um, they're just random encounters typically. This is when we're at schools and so forth. And then my other question is the older people, how much older are they and how old are you for our uh, listeners? So I'm 34 and by older and older, when I say older, I guess age is a general estimate of life experience. So when I say older, someone with experience. So even if it's a 23 year old who's screwed up a lot in life, mm-hmm. go talk to that kid. Find out why. Tons of experiences. Tons of experiences. And mm-hmm. I know a lot of older people who've been sheltered, who've never really stepped outside their box, who've never left their town. If they have, it was to Disneyland. Mm-hmm. They, they don't have that type of life experience or perspective that others have. Being on the USA boxing team allowed me to travel to over 30 countries. I got to see other countries, how their system works in boxing, being a poor person sport. I didn't get to go to resorts. When I went to DR, we don't go to like sandals part right. of the Dominican Republic. Right. We go to the hood hood. Right. Where there's where they're where they're where they're happy because they have running water. And I don't say hot water or cold water. There's no lever. It's just water. And it's cold. Mm. And it's very hot there because there's no AC and there's water beds and no one's complaining. 
besides the Americans. Of course. So I bring that perspective back here to the States and knowing how hard, like culture wise, China, like, like Chinese people, they're smarter than, no, they're not smarter than us. They're disciplined. They have different values. They work harder. It's a part of their culture. I've gotten to see so many different cultures and I've molded myself based off on a lot of those cultures and the idea of work ethic in the U S we have a very supportive work ethic around mental health and rest. You know, who doesn't everyone else. Yeah. We're going to get outworked and I'm not going to let anyone outwork me. And of course I've been guilty of letting my mental health get like my work in the way of my mental health, but I'm not going to ever let anyone outwork me. Not when that's an option. I think uh, work uh, can work positively for mental health. You know what I'm saying? A lot of people will sit back. And as long as you're not using it to disassociate. Yeah, but it's a lot of people will sit back and stew on, Do I, am I happy or blah, blah, blah. It's like, well, if you just took some more action you probably and thought about if you're happy less, you'd probably end up being more happy. Yeah. And this is not to discount any anyone with actual mental health issues, yeah. but mm-hmm. it is... It can be used as a crutch because there's a lot of times where I don't want to do something. Yeah. And I can find a lot of reasons why. <laughs> you talk yourself into Ooh, it. Oh, I'm good at it yeah. too. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I'll, I'll go convince my girl why I shouldn't go to the gym one day. Yeah. yeah. And like we can trick ourselves into anything and your reality is your reality. How much time do we spend cultivating the reality we exist in? This is what I spent all pandemic obsessing over. We all live in different, in, in our own realities. So, A spider comes down, right? You're not afraid of spiders. I'm terrified of spiders. Spider comes down. In your reality, you're safe. My reality, I start freaking out. My blood pressure rises. I start sweating. I'm freaking out. Start hyperventilating. I'm I'm crying. Objective reality, I'm safe. (laughs) Your reality, I'm safe. My reality, I'm not terrified. My reality is real because I made it real. Mm-hmm. Your reality is real because you made it real. I can't wait to use this on my girl later. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, remember yeah. Bob and Weave. Right, right, right. <laughs> <And Weave. laughs> but the thing is, how much time are we spending to cultivate our reality? So I read Think and Grow Rich. Uh, have you guys read it? Oh yeah. I read it, and I, I one of the older people I meet with, one of and he's I don't even mean because he's older. He's just one of the coolest guys I know. Kerry Phillips. Uh, he's a, a fellow speaker. And he was telling me he met someone and they, uh, their advice was if you've run into an exercise in a book, do it. Crazy concept. You'll respect someone's opinion enough to read their book and spend hours reading it, but you will not do what they tell you to do. Yeah. So I said, when I read Think and Grow Rich, I'm doing everything. Now I don't care how hokey pokey it sounds, I'm doing everything. I committed fully. It worked. Started to find success. And I figured if I can do this with money, can I do it with happiness? So every morning when I woke up, before I look at my phone, because our phone is our alarm clock, our alarm clock goes off. First thing we do, we hit snooze. We do math in nine minute increments. Then we start to check our notifications. Everything we check is bad. If it bleeds, it leads. The worst gets shown first. Every time I get on Twitter, hashtag RIP, someone I grew up loving. People are dying every day. People have always died every day. But this is the first time in human history that we are able to be aware of it. Broadcasting it to everybody. Mm -hmm. So how healthy is it, do you think, if... That's the first information you get in the morning. Oh, I mean, it's completely taking your focus. Uh, have you heard of the company uh, Notes to Self? Uh, mm-hmm. Laura Schmidt, She it's I Am Awesome Socks, and she writes socks with positive underwear, positive affirmations. 
because your brain is more receptive to affirmations first thing in the morning. I'm wearing her socks right now. <laughs> nice. I am crushing. What's crushing the at the bottom? It. Crushing it, dude. I love it. It's positive affirmations on, on, on your socks. And I, I wear her socks. And when she shared to me, your brain's more receptive to positive affirmations first thing in the morning. Uh, it, a light bulb went off. So I started doing my gratitude first thing in the morning. I love that, man. You have to put on your socks every day. You might as well give yourself some affirmations. Yep. So uh, I write 10 things I'm grateful for before I look at my phone every day. I never repeat anything on this list. I'm grateful for my house. I'm grateful for my car. I'm grateful for my washer. I'm grateful for my dryer. Two different things. You can be grateful for everything. Problem was, after like two weeks, I started to run out of things. Right. (laughs) You're like, I'm thankful for that ladybug that landed on me yesterday. (laughs) You know? So what I, because it would take me 10, 15 minutes, 20 minutes to come up with 10 new things. So what I started to do was I would look for things to be grateful for throughout my day, store it in my memory, call it delayed gratification, and write in my list so I can look at my phone faster in the morning. I went down a TikTok rabbit hole one day after doing this for months, and I found out about your RAS, Reticular Activating System. Ever heard of it? Uh-uh. So, uh... Your brain takes in 40 billion with a B, 40 billion bits of information every moment. Not every second, every moment, 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 moment. a lot of information. Things you're seeing in your peripheral, your unconscious mind can see it, but it doesn't allow your conscious mind to see it because it's not relevant to you. What is relevant to you? So your RAS acts as a filter. So perfect example, let's say you want to buy a yellow car. Then you start to see yellow cars everywhere. Mm -hmm. Something like that ever happened? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, every car you've ever owned, you saw it on the I mean, road Jeff, all the time. Jeff has a Raptor, so yeah. he sees Raptors. <laughs> well, I mean, dude, it's like we talk about this all the time. It's confirmation bias, you know, same concept. Sorry, keep going. So, no, no, and that's exactly what it is, mm-hmm. and that's what confirmation bias. You're you're looking. It's what your brain's already looking for, and you're looking for something to confirm that. So it's not that everyone just painted a bunch of yellow cars the day before. Those cars have always been there. You've never been able to be aware of it because you've never been looking for it. So when I started looking for gratitude every day, my brain started to automatically look for things to be grateful for. Mm-hmm. So gratitude's a muscle. You have to work it. But you don't need it until you need it. Another thing I do with this list and why it's become so beneficial to me, this has completely changed my life. And it's free. I don't add anyone's name to this list unless I'm willing to reach out to them that day out of context and tell them that I appreciate them. That's awesome. That's a great feeling. Imagine this. You get you get a text message from me. Hey, uh, love you, man. Hope all's going well. Even if you don't respond to that text, it brings you joy. No doubt. Knowing that that brings you joy brings me joy. I've been doing this to friends for two years. Now, randomly, they don't know why they do it, but they respond. They just send me random text messages. Tell me they love me and appreciate me. Brings me joy. Brings them joy. Gratitude's contagious. Now, think about... Think about all of your friendships before you had kids, before you got your girl, before you moved, before you got this new job. There's a lot of people in your life that you're not beefing with. You just don't see them anymore. They kind of fell out. When you're in the morning writing the gratitude journal and you're being conscious, you think about your experiences in life. You think, oh, I remember Steve, man. Steve was a good dude. I'm grateful for Steve. That's I'm grateful for Steve. Those words. You text Steve later that day. Hey, man, love you cost nothing changes your life because you start to look for things to be grateful for so what you're doing is you're changing your reality how much time do we spend 
cultivating our reality. I know so many people talk about having anxiety and then turn around and tell me, I love murder mysteries before bed. <laughs> Bruh. Yeah. Yeah, I don't waste any time on those, personally. If you, if you, I get why people like it, but it's like, it, with, with the whole gratitude thing, man, too, it, it helps you. A lot of people are in the mindset of, of what's next, what's next, you know? And if you, if you have a gratitude mindset and you kind of frame everything as, as being grateful for what, what's happening to you, it gets you out of that. Like I got to have what's next, you know, mentality. More present. Yeah. Yeah. It keeps you more present. Yeah. And I think that that right there is one of the biggest keys to happiness you can find is just being present. Enjoying the moment. Yeah. Yeah. All the stuff like this makes it hard to do it. Phones. That's exactly what it's trying to do. Right. And every time you get a notification, uh, it's there to pull you out of your moment that you're in and, and, and and have you focus on something else that's outside of your control. Yeah. Um, we're at a, we're at a spot now, man, where we need to wrap it up, but I want to let you know, um, it's been a very impactful podcast. We're super, super appreciative of, of you taking the time to come on here today. Yeah, I really appreciate your perspective, man. It's it's good to uh, talk to somebody who's like-minded and also hear a story that, you know, we hadn't heard before. Obviously, being a high-level boxer, a high-level athlete like you, you know, it's uh, it's been awesome, man. It's been a great interview. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Thanks for T- having tell me. us how, uh, tell us our, our listeners, please, how they can easily find you. Craigslist misconnections. <laughs> no, uh, <laughs> at Cam F. Awesome, A-C-A-M, uh, at C-A-M-F-A-W-E-S-O-M-E uh, or camfawesome.com. Uh, if anybody has any questions, I'm an open book. Very Love awesome, that, man. man. Very awesome. And, uh, you know, on the misconnections, how many of you have? Like, <laughs> saw, you, no, saw you getting out of the Planet Fitness shower. <laughs> yeah. So weird thing. Uh, I'm sorry to wrap this up. No, but, you're good. You're good. Uh, for years, the first thing I did, everyone, before my gratitude journal, when in my 20s, I would check Kansas City's Craigslist misconnections, even when I wasn't living in Kansas City. It was just like what I did every day. I've never posted on it. I've never, I've never found anyone looking for me. I was just curious on what other people were looking for every day. It yeah. was so funny, dude. I used to do that in Springfield, Missouri, where I used to live. Oh, that sounds like I'll, a fun place. I'll never forget. I, I will tell you, <laughs> probably I, some very interesting ones in the, Springfield. The one that I was most proud of, I wish I had the screenshot. I'm sure I do. It's from an old, old phone. But um, I would have loved to, to share it. But it was like... Like you were wearing a supplement superstore shirt, and I was oh. like, "Ah, oh, so one of our customers was a misconnection. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder which you. one. Yeah, who knows, right? But we give out shirts in our stores from time to time, and it's one of those <laughs> things where it's like there's a lot of S two shirts floating around, and so it was just funny to see that our shirt made it into somebody's misconnection. Nice. Um, we have two questions we love to ask every one of our guests. One, if there was somebody that you thought would be a really great guest for our podcast, we'd love for you to uh, to make a recommendation for us. Who do you think that would be? If you could, one comes to mind. Okay. Uh, right now for Protein Bros. Uh, ooh, Jesse Thomas. Uh, do you guys know who he is? A active strength gym out in Lee Summit. That sounds cool, super familiar. Real cool dude. I met him in a, a small business development program class. Uh, SBDC. Uh, UMKC had a small business class, and uh, obviously I'm very like I'm 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 really into business as like a sport. Sure. Uh, and I always want to learn more. And that's one of the ways I do is I always take courses. Mm-hmm. Uh, I take free courses. I'll pay for them. Uh, Mark Cuban said that he takes courses all the time. And I'm like, well, I can't think I'm too good for courses. So, yeah, I'm always continuing to learn. I'm anti-education system. I'm pro-education. Because the, the education system doesn't lead to uh, freedom and independence. And Certainly not. That's what I'm all about. Uh, 
rambling. What was I going for over there? The other question, uh, Jesse Thomas was who you were recommending. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. He was in the, a small business class and uh, uh, great dude, great energy. Uh, he he had a, I went to his uh, retreat in Portugal uh, earlier this year and I was one of the speakers at his, uh, he had a men's retreat out there. How fun. That's uh, cool. It was beautiful. It was, uh, it was a cool experience of like like-minded people getting together and it was like, it was competition of like, who can help the most people? Like it was, it was the most like unselfish competition. It was like, how can I help you? How can I help you? What do you need? And it was, it was Fun. like a, it was a great, that, that's a good dude. Was it a, was there a, like a plant medicine men's retreat? <laughs> Cause you're down in Portugal. Ayahuasca? No, 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 but I wish. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The other thing, uh, um, was as far as last questions go real easy. Best barbecue in Kansas city. You got one spot. You got to go. Where's it going to be? Uh, and I know that's tough. Maddie's being a vegan. food. Maddie's food. Uh, Ooh, Maddie's food. First, time, first time. Yeah. First time hearing it. Uh, Maddie's food. It's uh, uh, vegan comfort food. Uh, and they have a jack uh, jackfruit jackfruit barbecue sandwich. Uh, but I actually like their breakfast burrito better. I'm, mm. I'm, I'm not much. I was never much of a barbecue guy. Barbecue sauce guy. Yeah. Let's have a talk about sauces. Who are mm. your favorite sauces? Because. It, the barbecue doesn't matter. It's the sauce, right? Yeah, I'm with you. So, what what are your sauces? My personal favorite barbecue sauce in Kansas City is the, uh, I believe it's called like Night of the Living or like Night of the Living Dead Pig or something like that, which is like it's just the really spicy one from Casey Joe's. Oh, okay. And it's made by uh, Spice and Foods, which is over on Southwest Boulevard. They make it. They make all their sauces. Sweet Baby Ray's. Sweet Baby. Bro. Sweet Baby Ray's is classic. I mean, Sweet that's just Baby fantastic. Ray's Chipotle yeah. Raspberry Barbecue Sauce. Say what? I haven't seen. I've never seen that. Let's yeah. talk about yeah. it. Yeah, Chipotle Sweet. Raspberry is a, is a is a great combo for people who haven't had it. Wow, one of the best. That is my favorite. That's my go to barbecue sauce. Yeah. Yes. I didn't know a lot of people go with Sweet Baby Ray's. Sweet Baby Sweet Ray's baby is classic. Rays, you know what? They just came out with a buffalo sauce. You know what too. else I'm like, is I'm good? A hot sauce guy, so I always try to mix it. Curlies. Have you had curlies? Is it curlies? Yeah. Is that what it's called? Damn. It's the one with the faces on it, right? Uh, it's just a white just label. The, it looks really cool. Cursive. I don't know if oh, it's cool. Curly's it's just white like pigtail. Oh, okay. <laughs> but very classic good. looking. Very good. Yeah. Um, dude, again, we appreciate you so much. Yeah, thank you. Thanks again, so much man. for pick, taking the time to be here, man. And uh, as we said, guys, if you could please like, please share the podcast up. And uh, if you guys are looking for a Protein Bros podcast, Mommy Vice Tea, we still have those at every one of our locations here in Kansas City. Stop by any store, let them know that you're a follower. Show them you subscribe to the podcast and they will hook you up with a shirt on the house. Thanks again, guys. We'll see you next week. See you guys. Thanks for the time. Awesome, dude. Appreciate it, man.